All right. Well, uh, Ryan, Amanda, welcome to the show. This is actually the first time I'm doing the setup. Uh, I'm pretty excited. So uh, we'll be up on YouTube, but thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is really cool. It's actually yeah. the first time we've done a recording of a pod in person, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah with a video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've done like other in-person ones? Yeah. 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 Which ones do you like better? Because I prefer in-person a lot more, but I think it's easier to edit the non-in-person ones. I mean, I like having the experience of being with a person, yeah. but I feel like I'm so used to being behind a screen video off that that's like, I'm like, ooh, we're doing something different today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's like more enjoyable in person, but a lot easier when it's remote. Actually, so the very first time, so... I don't remember how we ended up connecting. Did Nathan connect us or like, cause I, I was on your guys' podcast, but how did we connect before that? Do you remember? Yeah, I can't remember if maybe it was through like Ray Blakeney, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. Cause it was around the same time we'd interviewed him and then we interviewed you and we interviewed Heath, who I know was also connected yeah. through you guys. Um, but I yeah. think that was like 2018. Yeah, something like that. And I think you had said like, hey, I noticed you didn't have any podcast episodes on Bulgaria. Like I grew up there. I can tell you right. like everything about Bulgaria that you need to know. And we were like, yes, that sounds awesome. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, today uh, I'm really excited to have you guys on because instead of talking about Bulgaria, we're going to talk about Mexico because uh, you guys just became residents of Mexico. So congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. And that's where we are right now. So this is uh, Ryan and Amanda's sweet apartment, which I think you guys need to double up as using for a podcast studio because it works pretty great. It looks pretty sweet. Um, so tell us right now we're in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And before we dive into talking about the residency stuff, what brought you guys to Mexico in the first place? And then why come here to Puerto Vallarta? Yeah, so we came, Amanda had been to Mexico when she was a kid, which is like super common for Canadians, just like Americans, right, to do vacations. Go down uh, south. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had I had never actually been though. Um, and so we had started our nomad journey in Southeast Asia, very stereotypically. We're over there hopping around and we're kind of by the end of that trip feeling like, hey, we could really use more of like a slow move thing going where like we want to stay at least three months in one place and kind of go like that. And Were so you doing kind of like a, like a two week, two week, two week before yeah, that? That's kind of what it ended up being where we stayed like, like 30 one, days. Yeah. One month, one yeah. month, yeah. one month. Okay. And part of that was the visas over in Asia mm. because I mean, Thailand is 30 days. You can just do visa runs, but we'd heard it's a bit more complicated. Like Bali was like 60 days and a lot of places we only had 30 days. So we were like, okay, we'll stay a month, go somewhere else. And it was exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of got a little bit burned out. Um, and I had actually, so we did that trip. Uh, we were both just more like freelancing, came back to Canada. I got offered a job that was more a full-time job. Um, and so we needed to stay on North American times. And so kind of the combination of those two things of being like, Hey, want to stay on North American times might need to travel to the States a bit. Um, and we want to go somewhere we can stay longer. And Mexico's got, you can come as a tourist, stay six months. Um, and then we'd had, we'd interviewed a couple people on our podcast who had been to Mexico city and they had said like fantastic things about it, which is kind of when you, I think are maybe a little bit not informed or have never been there. You think Mexico city and you're like, sounds crazy. 
why are people choosing to spend time there? Um, but we just heard enough good things about it that we were like, oh, this could be cool. Like, let's go check it out. And so we went, we had booked, I think, three weeks to start mm-hmm. with. And we're like, hey, if we like it, we might try to find an apartment. If we don't, we can go somewhere mm-hmm. else. Um, but got there and immediately just like fell in love with Mexico City. And so we ended up staying in Mexico City for, I think, seven to eight months. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You and guys were there for a yeah. while. And yeah. one of the, the best things about Mexico City is that it's like the hub for travel, right? Mm-hmm. It's like kind of if New York was like right in the middle of America. So all the flights connected there. You can get super cheap domestic flights. So we use that as like just a hub to do so much travel. And mm-hmm. it was the type of trip where we came in knowing a bit about Mexico and we left and our like list of things to do was so much bigger than when we got here. Um, and that was 2017, right? 2017, 2018, 2018, and that kind of started like a a love affair with Mexico for us where we've been back almost every year since, but almost all the, every time to somewhere different. That's what's so, you know, you mentioning like how people think it's kind of crazy to go to Mexico city. Mexico is the first country that Sarah and I had an experience where somebody was like, are you sure you want to do that? When we said that we were going to Mexico, because it is, you're so right that anybody that you speak with who's been to Mexico and not, I'm not talking about Cancun, Playa del Carmen, you know, staying at a resort, but like who's actually been to like the real Mexico loves Mexico. They say so many nice things about it, but then especially, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in the U S anytime Mexico is in the news, it's like some insane, like, you know, like, like crazy things happening. And I remember we sat down with Sarah's parents and they were like, it was like right before we came here last year. And they were like, are you sure this is safe? <laughs> uh, like, you know, the news isn't painting a very pretty picture. And I was like, you know, everybody that we've talked to says that it's great and whatever. And it was really interesting having Sarah's dad come down because, you know, we I, we told them all the statistics and they were like, you know what? Like, you're, you're right. Like looking at the data, it doesn't look that dangerous. You know, we, we they kind of looked into it and saw what the same things that we saw. And having Sarah's dad come down here this uh, this year and visit us, he was like, I don't even know what I was worried about. Like, you know, he's posting yeah. so many pictures and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's it's like interesting. But so you guys were down here in Mexico. And w- did you come to Puerto Vallarta before this time? Or is this your first time in PV? So I had been like over a decade ago on a girl's trip. I came in. I think it would have been like 2009 on like a week long party vacation trip. And I think when we came back here, we were kind of like, or or when we came back to Mexico, sorry, in like 2017, 2018, we were like, oh, we kind of want to avoid the really touristy spots. So let's avoid Cancun. Let's avoid uh, Bayerta. Let's, uh, let's avoid the places where like I came when I was like 19, 20 years old just to get drunk for a week. (laughs) And then with the pandemic happening, you know, we were back home in Canada for seven months and we decided to leave. And it was a little bit like of a weird decision to kind of think about that. And our friends, Sasha and Rachel from the Grateful Gypsies had been trying to convince us to come to PV for like three years at this point. Because they've been, been like, here for a while and yeah, they keep coming yeah. back. Yeah, here. exactly. Like they love it. And we were like, you know what? This will actually be probably a really good spot because we could get direct flights from Calgary. Um, we're like, there's lots of tourists there. So, you know, if we need anything or if anything happens, it's easy to get home. It'll be easy to get like medical access, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of thinking about like worst case scenarios with the pandemic in mind. And we came down here. So that would have been end of October 2020. And we were like, oh 
this is a really great place. Like, why have we been avoiding this for like the last three years? So it was definitely the type of thing where we judged a book by its cover and were completely wrong. Yeah, I I mean, this is our first time here and I I agree with you. It's totally not what I was expecting. Uh, Sarah had been here, I think, kind of like you. I mean, not on like a girl's trip, but I think she was here with her family. Mm -hmm. And it just sounded a lot more, I mean... It's definitely touristy here, but not. It doesn't feel touristy in the same way that like a Cancun does. Yeah, yeah, you know I mean? yeah. It feels like it still has like a soul to it, or like there's like a heart, there's like a community. Um, whereas some places just feel like completely hollow, like everyone's there for a week and gone. Right. Whereas here, I think because so many people, like there are a lot of retirees here, um, and I think that's kind of part of the community. Part of it is like so many people come back here every single year, so. Like you'll go to restaurants and people will remember you, remember you, and you'll run into people you know and stuff like that, as opposed to everyone being kind of cordoned off into different resorts. Right, right. And how long are you guys planning on on staying here? That is sort of uncertain, I think, just because of like the current state of the world and whatnot. But I think that we will stay for like the next couple of months. So it's beginning of May at the time of recording this. And I think we'll probably stay until July and then Mm -hmm. see where things are at. We usually like to go home to Canada in the summer. So we would like to do that again. Again, just depends on like rules and regulations. And if we can do that. And it also is going to get like really hot and rainy here. So we might chase some less rainier times right, and right. then make our way back here in the, the fall winter season, which is high season for PV. Okay. So let's shift a little bit and talk about getting a Mexican residency, because I think that this is something that I've been, I've become very passionate about over the last like year or so. Um, not necessarily about Mexico, but just in general, like I really believe that more people need to have, dual residency or dual citizenship at least so that uh like my whole thing has always been like my family growing up in eastern europe you know my family did not have the ability to leave when bulgaria went to shit essentially Mm -hmm. right anybody who had the ability who had citizenship with another country was able to leave um and so you know that kind of goes back to like why i am now very adamant on like hey you should probably look into this because worst case scenario, you have a backup plan and best case scenario, you can hang out in a place that you really enjoy for as long as you want to. So what made you guys start considering getting a residency instead of just kind of sticking around here as tourists? Because as you said, Mexico allows you to be here for like six months on a tourist visa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you just basically said it like okay. everything you just said about like Bulgaria and Eastern Europe and just kind of the situation that happens. I think you know, we've just been sort of, we, we've been interested in the idea of, you know, maybe making our residency somewhere other than Canada over the last couple of years. Like we were in living in Panama last year. We loved it there. They have a really good residency program. We were kind of thinking about that down the road. And then just with everything that's happened this last year, we were like, I think it's just like a good backup plan to Mm. be able to be somewhere else other than your home country in case you need that. And, you know, there's a lot going on in Canada right now, just with the rules and regulations. And we felt like now is a good time. Like, you know, it's a pretty easy process to go through. We're in Mexico anyways. This way we don't have to worry about border runs or overstaying. We don't have to stress about if we can get home or not. It'll just give us this opportunity to just stay in this country that that we love. 
Yeah. Yeah. And our kind of philosophy kind of going along with what you said, Mitko is, has been for quite a while of like, you know, kind of being like almost like a free agent, right? Mm. It's like, we hardly spend any time in Canada. We certainly don't receive many services from Canada. Um, We pay taxes in Canada. So we're kind of like, you know, where else could you go? And I think it's always good to have options. So like things that can give you more options that don't have a high cost are always a good thing. And like with citizenships, like living in Panama was really interesting for us because they had had so many Venezuelans come there over the past few years. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of dealing with that repercussion now of in the early days, they were very accepting. So many Venezuelans were coming and then everyone kind of cracked down. There was all this negativity towards it. And then it became very hard to come and work there if you were Venezuelan. Um, so that's always given us the sense of like, it's always better to act early with this type of thing mm-hmm. and um, having another option is good. And so many times through this whole situation this year, you've seen countries do things like only residents can come through or like, you know, this difference between clearly treating residents and citizens very differently than other people. Um, and I think that's very unlikely to happen in Mexico because they're so dependent on tourism. It's basically one of the only countries in the world where they actually stayed open this entire Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. um but we were here and we were like this gives us like a great option it has a very low cost involved to it it's pretty straightforward process and then if you get your residency here in mexico like you never have to leave again if you don't Mm -hmm. want if you just want to call mexico home you can renew it for a number of years get permanent residency there's a you know route to getting citizenship if you want it so what is the difference between people might be noticing that we're saying residency and you know saying citizenship what is the difference between having residency and having citizenship yeah so um i think it's actually technically like the temporary residency visa um so you can enter i'm not sure exactly how many countries have the six month tourist visa but it's quite a lot um so if you just fly into mexico as a tourist they'll just like give you six months to stay here as a tourist um with a temporary residency visa you can stay from you know as short a time as you want up to a year or you can then renew it um, for an additional three years so it's a type of visa just allows you to stay longer and then because you're getting like your official residency card you can use that as a form of identification to open bank accounts to you know rent apartments Uh, Some of that stuff you can do without it, but it just makes it easier to get some of that stuff along the way. So when you get residency initially, it's just a year and then you need to like kind of like re go through the process to get it for three years. Like you can't just be like, I want to be here for four years. Just give me the four straight away. So you can. There is a route to just permanent residency, but it's a little bit more complicated than temporary residency. Like they kind of ideally want you to go temporary resident, permanent resident citizen Mm. but I think like if you're married to somebody who's Mexican or you have close family ties or if you have a pretty significant amount of savings or own a house then you can skip right to permanent residency Mm. we didn't qualify for permanent residency in any of those categories and so temporary residency made the most sense for us and then you just go to like the immigration office and like tell them that you want to continue with it and they just renew your card for you it seems I'm sure there's like other things involved because it's Mexico and there always is, but uh, it seems pretty straightforward to be able to renew it. And what did your family back home think when you were like, hey, uh, we're going to become Mexican residents? Uh, my mom was like, I'm happy for you, but I'm sad for me. <laughs> How come? Uh, I think that 
you know, our parents are very, and our families are very supportive of our like choice to be nomadic and our choice to live outside of Canada. But I mean, I think if they're being honest, like they would prefer that we were there and like, you know, going to buy a house and, you know, have babies there and like do all of that kind of like quote unquote normal person stuff. Um, so they saw the sign of you guys getting a residency, like, Oh, they're, they're not coming back. They're probably gonna spend more time over there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that that's great about it is it's a bit of a process to actually like go from applying for it to like getting your residency card. But once you have it, like there's nothing kind of tying you to being in Mexico. Um, depending on where you're, what you're trying to do with it. Like you, if you're trying to get citizenship down the road, it's better to like live almost full time there, but you can still go back. But yeah, I think for us, we've both been like doing this for a while and are both kind of the type of people who just like do things and then kind of let people know about the things we've done. <laughs> so, so it's kind of doesn't give people much of a chance to disagree. Um, but they were, yeah, they were both kind of, I think like, oh, okay, that's interesting. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you guys planning on doing? And for us, because it's still kind of like the world feel, still feels so uncertain. Um, so we're not like a hundred percent committed to living in Mexico for, you know, the next stage of our lives, but it just kind of gives us more of, of an option to do that if we, we end up deciding we want to. So what are outside of being able to stay here in Mexico for longer without having to do like a visa run or something like that every six months, what are some of the other benefits that people can like look forward to if they want to get residency here? Yeah, well, I, I should say the first, like, the, I think the primary thing is that route of like, it's the first step in a process to getting permanent residency, um, which is then like, you know, close to getting on the way to getting citizenship. So like, that's kind of a definitely like a big part about it. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, with the temporary residency, you actually need to prove economic solvency. So that just means like you have to prove you make so much money per month or have Mm -hmm. a certain amount of savings because you're not actually permitted to work, but you can apply for a work permit. Oh, so on a residence permit, you can't work in Mexico. You can't get a job in Mexico. You can't get a job in Mexico. Yeah, a temporary residence permit. On a permanent resident permit, you can work here, like get a job at like the Starbucks or at a real estate agency or something like that. But yeah, with a temporary residency, you can't get a job in Mexico with a Mexican company. So if I'm thinking about this in like U.S. terms, it almost sounds like the permanent residency would be kind of like living in the U.S. on a green card where like when we immigrated to the U.S. we had a green card and we had 10 years to live in the U.S. and I think after like the fifth year or something like that the fifth or eighth year you can apply to get citizenship so is it kind of like similar here where you do the temporary residency then you get the permanent residency and then after living several years on the permanent residency you can apply for citizenship yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. And so I think our route to citizenship from like this point of being temporary residents would be like five years. Yeah, I think so. We haven't gone because it's so far in the future, like all the way down that, that path. But yeah, um, you do four years of temporary residency and then you can convert it into or do the application for permanent residency. Um, and then from there, apply for citizenship if you've been living in the country for a long enough time. And is that something that you guys are interested in, in terms of like getting Mexican citizenship? And if yes, like what are the benefits of having a Mexican citizenship? 
Yeah. I mean, I think for me, one thing I've thought about, and this kind of relates to what you brought up before is like, so because of my like family, where they came from and how they immigrated from Europe, I don't qualify for any other passport. And obviously being Canadian is great. Like Mm -hmm. I hold one of the best passports in the world. I'm super, super thankful for that. Super grateful for it. And you know, it's, it's obviously amazing to have that. I don't necessarily need another one, but you know, it's just kind of this, like, you never really know what's going to happen. And like, Mm -hmm you know, having options doesn't necessarily hurt you. So for me, I think it's definitely something that if we do decide to live in Mexico over the next couple of years, then I feel like I would definitely, if I qualify for a Mexican passport, I'll go for it. Right. You might as well get it. Yeah. 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 I think just having the option is really nice. And and it, it just kind of goes along with, because we really like it here. We've been spending a ton of time here. We both speak Spanish. Um, it's like close to home. So it's great to be here. We spend a ton of time here anyways. And we were kind of like, oh, well, and there's this thing you could do, which would lead you towards citizenship, which would be great to have that option as well. Mm-hmm. And what about, you know, a lot of people who might be looking into this topic would be interested in things like tax benefits. What would the tax situation look like there if you were to become a Mexican citizen? And how would that play with like your Canadian citizenship? Yeah, so it definitely it's so much different based off everywhere you're coming from and going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Mexico is the best in terms of being like a, a tax haven, at right. least compared not to like Panama or some of the Caribbean islands where you might want to get that passport because they don't have capital gains tax. They don't right, have income right. tax, that type of thing. Um, so for us, because we're Canadians, you can become non-resident of Canada um, and then you have to become a resident of somewhere else to do that. For us, there's not a huge tax advantage to being in Mexico. Um, To get kind of some of those tax benefits, we would probably have to set up some type of corporate structure um, so that we would then move our residency to Mexico. Our incomes would be fairly low in terms of personal income. Mm -hmm. And then the corporate side of our business would be receiving most of that income. And then you would have some tax advantage there. Um, that would be kind of the way I think you would need to do it in, in Mexico because it's not as straightforward here as like, I think if you like move to St. Kitts, they don't have any capital gains tax. They don't have any income tax. So right, you can just right. move your residency there and then you're, you're kind of doing well. Yeah, Panama is similar in that way too. It, it's uh, one of the reasons that a lot of people go down there is you can, I think you get residency when you set up a business. Is that right? Yeah, so one of the, in Panama, it's like really common. Um, the, the two ways to do it, you can either buy property and get the, they call it the Friendly Nations visa, which makes mm-hmm. you a resident of Panama, or you can start a company and become a board member of that company. Um, and then if you set up the company so that you're not being charged on worldwide income, um, you can then make your income in Panama quite low because the company doesn't pay taxes on worldwide income. Um, so certainly in, in Mexico, it doesn't have the similar level of advantage, but you kind of can get some of the benefit of having kind of your business life spread out between a couple different countries. Cool. So what about, like, what was the process of actually getting the residency? So you guys decided this was something that you wanted to go ahead with. What, was, what were like the steps that you actually had to take to get the process started? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting in that you actually have to start it outside of Mexico. So the first step is booking an appointment for your residency at a consulate in a country that's not Mexico. So it doesn't matter where you're from, 
any consulate's fine. So we actually happened to be doing like a visa run plus going to a friend's wedding in the U.S. And we just happened to check like we were going going to be in Colorado. And we're like, let's just see if the Mexican consulate there has any times. They did. And we were oh, like. Oh, so you didn't even have to do it in like a, a Canadian. No, yeah. we didn't oh, even okay. have to go to Canada. I mean, that would have been so challenging right now with the current rules and stuff. We actually were able to do it in Denver. I mean, they did ask us like why we were doing it there. Like she was like you're Canadian, like, why Denver? Like, why are you right, here right, right now? That was one of her questions. But yeah, you can do it at any Mexican consulate. Apparently, lots of people will, like, do border runs, like, Guatemala City and do it there. Mm. Um, but I think the U.S. is, like, a really great place to do it because they have consulates in most major cities there. And so that's the first step is book an appointment with the consulate. And then from there, you have to do, like, a bit of paperwork that you need to show up with. And the most important part of that is your economic solvency. So it's making sure that you've like have enough bank statements and proof that you don't need to get a job in Mexico uh, in order for them to approve you. And like, just so that people understand a little bit in terms of like timeline and some of these requirements, how long ago was, how long ago was it that you guys went to the consulate to kind of start the process? Because like I said, you guys just got your residency like in April, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, it actually happened kind of faster than we were expecting it to happen. Um, we kind of decided we wanted to do it in January. We were in the States in February, so we got an appointment at the end of February. It was 28th of February. You go in, uh, it actually varies a little bit between consulate consulate, how it works. In Denver, we went in in person, showed them all our paperwork, they like approved us. And so what that gives you is kind of like this weird, you're like approved, kind of. Um, so you get, everything's done kind of and (laughs) but then you have to enter mexico and like you go at the border you're like hey i'm here with this visa they like ask you a couple questions uh then they say okay you're here on this canje thing which is like an exchange visa thing and then you have to go to the immigration office within 30 days of landing in mexico and i should say so once you do the process outside of mexico you've got six months to enter mexico we came right back like the next day so we were here started the process um we were using a law firm so they took a while to actually get us in for the appointment it took about a month to actually get um that process going and then they let us know like hey they everything's submitted um they're like reviewing your stuff um at the office in merida you have to pick a town in mexico where you want to do this process and then the next day so they (laughs) our, our lawyer was like hey everything's in there they're gonna let us know within like three months what happens like 24 hours later like you're approved um and then because of coronavirus they've kind of changed so not what you'd think about in terms of government operations i think it's a bit weird right now because they've shifted a bunch of stuff to like appointment based whereas maybe in the past these offices would be like overwhelmed with Mm -hmm. people because it's appointments now it's like takes you a while to get an appointment once you get the appointment things happen quickly yeah and so then you had to get another appointment, go back, do your fingerprints, um, and kind of like confirm all your identity stuff. Um, and then they print you out the card and then you're good to go. Well, one of the kind of quirks about it is they give you like your visa technically starts the date you did it at at the start. So our like visa date was February 28th. So we'll have to renew it. Um, I think you can renew it within two months up. So Mm -hmm. in, like December, January. Yeah, December, January of this year, we'll be able to renew it, and then we can renew it for all three years right at the same time. Gotcha. Well, that's so that's a lot quicker than I thought it would have taken. So, mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, like, two months 
from you guys walking into the consulate the first day to when you guys actually got your residency, which is yeah. a, a lot faster than I thought it would be. And you, we've mentioned having to prove financial solvency a few times. Do you happen to remember what kind of like the limit was in terms of like, okay, you can get this or you can't? Yeah. So it's around 1500 USD a month. 15, oh, 1500 USD, USD per, per month. month per person, I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 Okay. And you can, um, if you are married, then you can actually like like as long as you show your marriage license, mm. then you can actually like apply your like income to the other person or your savings to the other person. Gotcha. So we actually, Ryan's uh, bank statements didn't have his full name on them. And so she's like, I actually can't like accept your bank statements. She's like, but your wife has you covered. So like oh, you're okay. good too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. And, and one of the, Amanda kind of hinted at it, but there's some like weird quirks with this process. So depending on the consulate you're applying to, they might have slightly different standards or use a different conversion rate or have different things they're looking for. Some where they're looking for, you know, more depth on like, have you got a certain amount in your bank account every single month for six months, that type of thing. But yeah, it's about $1,500 of income or $30,000 in savings. And the savings that one of the things they look for is having six months of bank accounts with, over $30,000 gotcha. in it. Yeah, I think that's like a pretty common thing nowadays, especially with a lot of these remote visas that are coming out, is that all of these places are basically looking for you to prove that you can earn an income online and that you're not going to be a pain in the ass, essentially, for uh, that locality. So uh, I think that's becoming a pretty normal thing nowadays uh, with that process. So you got your residency in two months and you said that you had to fly into Merida to essentially like finish the process. What was, what was that like? Yeah. yeah, it was, uh, we basically just flew in for like 24 hours because, because we'd been expecting it to be like two, three months because mm -hmm. like the law firm that we worked with had outlined the whole process with us, like right before we even hired them. So we had been expecting like, okay, it'll be really quick at the beginning and then it'll take like two, three months to get approved. So we're like, okay, cool. All of our friends are moving to Bayartha. So we'll head to Bayartha too. That'll be great. And then, you know, you guys will all go on your way. We'll still be here waiting for residency. We'll go back to Merida. We'll get it. We'll That's spend some time there. It'll be nice. We can go to all our favorite restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Get a haircut. Yeah. 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 It's like not how that worked out at all. So basically we flew from Bayarta through Mexico City to Merida. We showed up like the night before. And then our appointment was that like, I think we had nine and nine fifteen in the morning. So we just went to the immigration office. We waited for them to like call us up because they had our appointment details. And then basically they just went through to make sure like, this is your name. This is your like address, your birth date, et cetera. Everything that had been on our application. And then yeah, fingerprinted us, photographed us. And then we just waited for them to print a card. The whole thing took honestly like an hour. Yeah, it took... It was surprising because this is not often the way things work here. Basically, every step took less time than we thought it would because they were like, oh, it could take like up to three hours at the office and like 45 minutes later we were done. And I was like, okay, sweet, I can go get a haircut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you able to get a bank account now in Mexico? Yeah, so that's what we're working on right now. We went to the bank the other day to ask them what we needed. And it's so funny because we had like a copy of our lease here and... Um, you need your passport and then your like 
residencia card and he's like oh no no like the lease doesn't work we actually need like a copy of your electrical bill we're like well it's not in our name he's like no 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 that's fine I'm like wouldn't you prefer something that like actually shows that I live here right so but, anyways, uh, yeah. that's, yes we can <laughs> and a few people have told us that like they know of like people who are like retirees who have been able to open bank accounts without having temporary residency both the banks we went to required it so it seems like there might be like a way to kind of like work around it but it mm. makes that easier and a lot of things just become easier when you have it mm-hmm. uh, specifically getting a bank account getting credit cards that right. type of thing yeah i can imagine like living here it would be really nice to have a bank account that holds pesos and stuff like that but you know it's something that i've been thinking about more recently but i have one of those wise cards like or they used to be called transfer wise but now they're wise and for me that has been really helpful because you can hold multiple currencies so when i come here i can just like charge the card in pesos and that has been really great and now i'm kind of like i'm wondering does it even make sense for me to get you know bank accounts like when i go to bulgaria does it make sense for me to get a bank account or something like that so have you guys had any experience with those and is there some sort of benefit of having a local bank account as opposed to using something like that yeah i mean i use i'm still like not over the fact that TransferWise rebranded to wise i feel yeah. like it's going to be a minute before my brain gets it but yeah i've used wise for a while and i love it i don't have a card with them but that seems like something i should do because that would be really awesome but yeah i mean being canadian like we even have issues with like us dollars and stuff like that yeah. um like you know we can't do venmo like you guys do we have paypal their fees are so high et cetera, et cetera. So I think it is going to be nice to like have a card here. The other thing we struggle with, and this is like totally a Canadian problem, but is often they won't accept our credit cards because we have a postal code, code, not a zip code, Mm. and it requires letters to be entered. So sometimes we get in these funny situations with like online purchases where you're trying to buy like a bus ticket or like a plane ticket on like a Mexican airline or like a movie ticket. Oh, hi, Siri. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. You know what's really funny about Siri? No, that's totally fine. Is so when I say sometimes, I will say, hey, Sarah, and Siri turns on. I'm like, no, 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 no. See, I just did it. You're like, wrong wife. Yeah, yeah, wrong wife. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's so funny. But yeah, it's uh, like even movie tickets. We've had our like credit card denied with movie tickets. So I think it's going to be really nice because we do spend so much time here to just Mm. be able to put pesos in an account, like even paying our rent is like, I need to get the money into WISE, I need to put it into pesos, then I need to send it to the bank account to like get the lowest fee. And because most of our money comes either like USD or Canadian, it's like always losing on exchange rates. So I'm hoping that maybe that'll be a benefit for us. Yeah, I think for us being Canadian and just seeing what's happened in Canada this past year has given us a bit more of that like, it'd be good to just put down roots somewhere outside yeah. and we've been in Mexico love Mexico so we're like this seems like a great place especially too because some of those nomad visas that are going on around the world don't seem to have like the benefit of continuing into permanent residency mm-hmm. where it's just like I think the Barbados one I was looking at and I was like this doesn't make any sense it's like you pay two grand right. to go there and like not be able to work there right. um it's i was like what's like the benefit of this yeah um, i think especially some of those island countries like i i totally agree with you i look at the remote visas they're coming out with and i'm like i don't i don't really understand why i would get this like why would yeah. they just go down there 
hang out for whatever the tourist visa allows me to not pay the money and yeah. then like leave. But this actually relates a bit to kind of what we were thinking about with Mexico of like, I think from the government's perspective, they're looking at it like, cause with Barbados, I was like, this doesn't make any sense from a nomad perspective. Mm-hmm. Cause they don't let you claim tax residency there. They don't let you yeah. work there. They don't give you like a path to citizenship there, but you have to pay like two rand or whatever for right. the visa and prove a bunch of income. But I think from their perspective, it's like, Oh, like we charge, 50% tax from all our citizens. So look at the deal we're giving you mm. to nomads, <laughs> right? Without realizing that nomads have all these options and that they are competing with these other countries. Um, and so something we've been thinking about is like, I feel like at some point in the future, some of these countries are going to start like maybe going after nomads a little bit, especially with like, Hey, are you coming to work? Or are you coming to be a tourist? Cause if you're coming to work, we're going to charge you money. Um, type of thing is a, something that mm-hmm. could be happening in the future and like just getting temporary residency getting on a path to permanent residency might have some extra benefit in the future for, for that reason as well yeah and i think also like look if i'm going somewhere and i need to do visa runs really often i might be interested in a remote visa that gives me some sort of like prolonged amount of time to stay there. And I would more, I'd be more than happy to pay some amount of money to make sure that I don't have to, you know, jump through all the hoops of doing like visa Bali runs. or Thailand. Right. Like if I have to do it every 30 days or 60 days mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and I can pay like a couple hundred bucks and give me a few months that I don't have to do that. Fantastic. I think it was, um, I might be incorrect about this, but I think it was Iceland where, it's actually really affordable to get the remote visa. I think it's like only a couple hundred dollars, but you need to prove like 80 grand in income or something like that. And so <laughs> I, I get it like from an Iceland perspective, like Iceland's not cheap. So they want to make sure that if they're going to give you the ability to stay there for a long amount of time, you can afford to spend your money and like boost yeah. their economy. And it makes it easier you know, for you to essentially stay there longer and not have to worry about jumping through hoops and stuff like that. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've learned a little, a little bit about the Mexican residency. Tell us a little bit more about like what you guys are doing in terms of business. I'm sure everybody's really interested in like, all right, sounds awesome. You're living in Puerto Vallarta down in Mexico. Like what are you actually doing for like a living and what's like allowing you to spend so much time here? You want me to go first? Sure. Sure. So we run a podcast together called The World Wanders, which you were a guest on and you're going to be a guest on again with your amazing wife, Sarah. And so we do that. And then I run a podcast and a business on the business of yoga. So I help yoga teachers and studio owners with their businesses. And I yeah have my podcast. I've got courses. I work with yoga studios and yoga teachers like one on one and then also teach in a teacher training. And then also do some like side hustle, freelance coaching and whatnot uh, with a company. Actually, the company Ryan used to work for full time. Yeah. Yeah. And so like Amanda said, we do our podcast together and then I do a bit of coaching for uh, a professional development company, helps young people get started in their careers. Um, But then my main thing is I do podcast editing and production. So I help people, a group of clients, make sure their podcasts sound awesome um, and help them get started and then make sure everything sounds great on an episode to episode basis. How has the podcast gone for you guys? Like what has been your experience with running that podcast and sort of like monetizing it? Yeah, it's been, I think, like, good overall. I think there's always, like, ups and downs and and whatnot, like, times where we've been, like, more excited or less excited about it. Um, I mean, 
the pandemic was obviously like kind of hard. Like we had a really cool like sponsorship deal with away luggage and they canceled all their ad spots from like March until October pretty much. So obviously that was a little bit tricky and challenging and also kind of just as like a travel podcast and maybe you can relate to this since yours is about like remote, remote work. Maybe it's a little bit different, but it's just kind of like, okay, we're living in this world where like, it's really not encouraged to travel for a good part of 2020. It's like, we don't even know if it's safe for people to be traveling. Nobody is really traveling. Like what on earth do we talk about Mm. on this show? And so we had all this backlog content, you know, as we're like escaping Panama to go back to Canada, we're releasing episodes on Costa Rica. It's like, who's like planning a trip to Costa Rica right now? Um, But then we were able to do some cool interview stuff. And we actually ended up talking to people like quarantined all over the world Mm. and that type of thing, which was interesting. And now that I feel like the world's kind of starting to open back up a little bit, it's uh, we've been putting like more and more content out on destinations and that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess a bit more specifically on like the business side of things we really, so we started in 2014 and just purely for like the, the love of the game. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we were like, we had just finished up like six months of backpacking and we were like this life we're living while we're backpacking is just so fun. So many cool conversations, meeting people all over the world. Um, And we're like, it'd be cool to do that when we were at home and like, mm. could we podcast and do that? So we started interviewing people we met traveling and then using it as a way to meet cool people who wouldn't otherwise like never want to talk to us. Right. <laughs> right, right, um, right. Like reaching out and interviewing cool authors and stuff um, and kind of having dedicated time for us to sit down and talk. So right from the moment we started, we were like very selfish about like, we want to do something that is like giving us value and fun for us apart from like, Hey, could we make any money doing this? We weren't even Mm -hmm. like thinking about that for probably like two years. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like, yeah, two years into it, we signed our first sponsor. Um, and kind of from them have usually had some type of sponsor going on. Uh, and then in, we're about a year into using a service called Spreaker as a podcast host, which is doing dynamic ads, um, which is quite helpful because then we can dynamically insert ads into our back catalog, um, mm. which is something like on YouTube, if you're getting a ton of views, it's great because it goes like all the way back into your previous right, episodes because right. the way they do ads. Podcast it has kind of been up till now, like you have to sell ads based off the numbers you have. And if you grow in the future, that doesn't help you with the past but the dynamic ads and correct me if i'm wrong you are you don't have as much control over who's advertising correct yes not as much control which is definitely like something that's like a little bit concerning especially i can't remember what it was but like it was something around like the alberta government yeah it's like the province we live in in canada and i heard it on an episode and was like this whatever category this is in and like we need this off yeah we don't want to like turn off categories Mm. it was just a little bit too political it was kind of around the time that the u.s election was happening Mm. and it it wasn't related to that but i feel like it could just you know signal something around that and so emailed like the person we work with and was like whatever category this is in like turn it off Mm -hmm. um so we just have to be a bit cautious with that and you know there's i feel like you know this is like a podcast host it's like you don't want to piss off your audience So there's kind of this balance around like what is too many ads and if they hear something they don't like, do they just stop listening to us and then they don't want to like, you know, interact with us in our Facebook group or through our Patreon or anything like that. So it's kind of like a tough, we've just been trying to like make decisions that are kind of feel like the best for both our business and then also with our audience in mind as well. Yeah, that's like why 
I haven't gotten any sponsors yet on the podcast because I don't feel like the amount of money that I'd get for a sponsor at this point would be worth like not necessarily pissing off, but lowering the experience for the people listening at the moment. And so I've just kind of been like, that's why there are no sponsors on this podcast yet. Yeah. Uh, now, if anybody's listening and they would like to <laughs> throw some cash here and the cash is considerate, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll definitely think about it. Um, yeah. But but just to add one more thing, I think for anyone who is podcasting, especially like starting out or however long you've been doing it, like you said, like there is a cost involved in putting these ads in and you kind of have mm-hmm. to be mindful or cognizant of like, is it worth it? Because once you start working with advertisers, oftentimes they can be really picky. Mm-hmm. One thing that's like a constant source of frustration for us is like, for someone's you. like, <laughs> add a personal experience. And so I'm like, say something like naturally and they're like, oh, guess what? We need you to say X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, then why did you say they're add like a personal experience? Picky about the way you use the words that they want. And I'm like, just give us a script then. Oh, uh, you mean like when you're doing the ad spots? Yeah, it's yeah. like if people are like often because it's like someone who works on like the marketing team and they're like, mm. oh, like, yeah, you guys are like creative, like do it. And then it's like, oh, it turns out we need you to say exactly this thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, having that space to be like, hey, focus on doing it. And then you'll reach a point, especially to like so much of the value of having a show or having a creative output is building that trust with the audience so that if you create a product, Mm -hmm. you can use that ad space for yourself. And if you haven't diluted it on, you know, all sorts of other ads, it's going to hit so much harder with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, Amanda, just to comment on something that you were saying earlier, I, I definitely think you're correct on like the travel niche, I think in general feels very sexy to a lot of people. And it's something that I personally like, working with a lot of people who are trying to become digital nomads, they're trying to start online businesses. Everyone's first idea tends to always be something in travel, right? Mm -hmm. Like I want to be a travel planner. I want to have a travel blog. I want to have a travel whatever. And it's great because people are really passionate about it. But the thing that I feel like not enough people think about the travel industry is that it's very uh, sensitive, right? Like if the economy you know, goes down or something like that, travel is one of the first to be affected the same way when everybody's doing well, everybody's traveling more, right? Mm -hmm. So the travel industry does have a little bit of this sensitivity associated with it. Um, And so that's why I tell a lot of people like, hey, if this is what you want to do and you're 100% sure about it, go do it. But if there's something else, you know, that's also not a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, I think we were both really grateful that we had you know, other sources of income coming through when the pandemic hit. I know we were talking with our our mutual friend, Nathan, and I remember during that time we did an interview with him and he's like, I'm making like $14 a week off my blog. (laughs) And I was like, do you want me to go like just click around and like pretend like I'm looking (laughs) for stuff? He's like, it's not even worth it. Like don't, don't bother. And I know we have lots of travel blogger friends that were in kind of similar situations where it's like, well, hopefully ad spend for travel blogs gets Mm -hmm. pushed back up in the next couple of months because you know, this is what we live off of. And yeah, I think, you know, and it's not just with the pandemic, like um, there's lots of things I think that can make the travel industry like, you know, sensitive, I think Mm -hmm. is a good word. Like, I mean, if you go to a country that's a little bit controversial, you know, people can get certain people can get upset about that Mm. or you don't have the experience that somebody wants you to have there. You know, that can be something. And then on top of that, there's, you know, the 
like political economic situation. Like sometimes a place is great and then it becomes unsafe because a war breaks out or something. And then, you know, there's lots of things that can happen within this like kind of global industry. So I agree with you. I mean, if you're passionate about travel and that's what you want to talk about it, like, heck yes, go for it. But if you're like, I want to be a digital nomad or I want to be a remote worker and I'm passionate about, you know, whatever it is, like science, programming, Mm. astronomy, like I think that there's a lot of opportunities to pursue that too. Right. Yeah, I I totally agree. Well, guys, Amanda, Ryan, it's been so much fun to have you guys on the show. Uh, It's been a long time coming. So thank you for not only taking the time to uh, be here, but also uh, like hosting this. (laughs) So (laughs) thanks so much. Um, Let people know if they want to come and check out the podcast or uh, their yoga teachers, they want to get in touch with you or they run a podcast, they want to get in touch with you, Ryan, like where can they do that? Yeah, so you can find the podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. It's just The World Wanders. It's theworldwanders.com and The World Wanders podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Um, if you want to connect with me or if you're a yoga teacher, it's mbomyoga.com. So mbomyoga.com. Um, and where can they find you? Yeah, so if they interest, if you run a podcast and you're interested in help with podcasts, you can find me at ryanaferguson.com. And if you go slash podcasting, you can find out more about my podcast work. Perfect. Well, thanks so much again, you guys. Yeah, thank you so thanks much for having too. us.